The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Good morning, Grace. Feeling kind of nervous for some reason this morning. Let's start out with prayer. I guess that will make the nervousness go away. Father, I pray and thank you for this day that you're given us to come together and worship you and praise you and study your word and lay your word. And I ask that you guide me and the message that you prepare through me and that will be useful to those who hear it. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to chapter 3, Philippians. And while you're turning, I'm going to ask you a question. I always ask questions, right? What is the highest and holiest, best ambition an individual can possibly have? You know, we should take daily kind of an audit. What are our roadmap? What are our ambitions in life? Would it be to live a holy life? That would be a high ambition. Would it be to be a soul winner? That's a great ambition. Would it be to master the word of God? That's a wonderful, wonderful ambition. But not the best, not the highest, and not the holiest. So everybody here is motivated by something. And let me put it this way, everybody's going somewhere, and I'm not just talking about heaven, I just want you to think about your life in general. Just forget about Bible study, forget about the sermon, we're all going somewhere. So when you get there, where where will you be? When you accomplish your goals, what will you have? Think about it, personalize it. When I get to where I'm going, where will I be? When I achieve my goals, what will I have? Do you have a purpose in life? Most people don't. Most folks are just plowing water and shoveling smoke. They exist to live and live and to exist. But they don't really have a purpose in life. You know, in Peter in Acts 2.40, he said this. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. In King James Version, it says, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. It's a word that we don't really use this much, untoward. Basically, it means get off this merry-go-round that it's not going anywhere. The highest, holiest, best ambition for me, for you, for any individual could be this. It's Scripture, Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him. That I may know Him. Somebody might say, well, that's not that important, friend. That is. That is the ambition of the, the most greatest Christian that we know ever lived, that I may know him. Read with me from Philippians 3, 10 through 14. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or I am already perfected, but I press on 
that I may lay hold of for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do, count, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. He distilled it to one thing. But one thing I do, forgetting those things in the past, forgetting those things that are behind, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Underscore that word, upward call. King James has it, high calling of God. The high calling. We're thinking, I want you to think this morning, one step higher. The high calling, one step higher. And that step higher is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He also speaks here the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. You know what that means? That causes me to ask this question, being conformed to his death. Are the things I'm living for worth Jesus dying for? Are the things I'm living for worth Jesus dying for? You see, Paul saw that before now, his goals were unworthy. And now he brings them all, all the goals to one magnificent obsession that he has. This is Paul's secret of success. His life was molded, his life was controlled by this magnificent ambition and obsession that I may know him. And very frankly, when I was looking over this and studying it, it challenged my own heart that I may know him. This is Apostle Paul towards the end of his life saying that I may know him. So I want to lay four things on your heart this morning as we look at this passage and really four principles, and I pray that God will write them upon your consciousness so that we will not forget them. But four things we need to do that will help us in our daily lives. Number one is fix our focus. First thing we need to do is fix our focus. What's our focus? What was Paul's focus? That I may know him. This is the goal of Paul's life. He wanted to know him personally. He doesn't say, I want to know more about him. You could sit in church and learn all about him and still not know him. But to know him is more important than knowing about him. We are to know him personally. We are to know him intimately. So this morning, I'm not asking if you know doctrine, if you know theology. I'm asking, do you know him? It's possible to know about somebody and not know him. There's an old story that preachers love to tell about a social gathering. So some of you may have heard it. I'm going to share it with you. There's a social gathering, gathering. And there was an old man there who preached the gospel for many, many years. And there was also a famous actor there. And somebody thought it would be a form of entertainment supposed to hear them both recite something. Let's have them both recite something. That the older preacher who was preaching for many, many years, he was really not that well educated, not eloquent, kind of like me. For the past two Sundays, I mixed up my words with persecution versus prosecution, and I thank you for those that pointed that out. And then there was this artist who knew acting. He'd been on stage, he knew drama, he was well educated, and very well trained. So somebody said, let's have him recite Psalm 23. Six wonderful verses. So the actor went and recited these verses, and it was beautiful, magnificent. He knew exactly where to put the emphasis, and when he was done, everybody clapped, applause. It was beautiful. Then it was the old man preacher. He came up and recited those six verses very, very differently. 
There was no applause. But there was not a dry eye in the place. And at the end, somebody walked up to the actor and said, you know, both of you did a wonderful job. But it's something about the preacher, the way he, he read those verses. I just don't know what it is. Do you know what it is? And the actor thought about it for a moment and he said, yes, I do know what it is. I know the psalm. He knows the shepherd. And that's what we need to learn, friends. It's not merely the word of God, but the God of the word. This man, Paul, here, who is grizzled old warrior, now in prison, getting ready to die, he's talking about knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't think that he's already attained. He's not already perfect. He wants to know more and more about Lord Jesus Christ. He wants that higher ground, so he fixes his focus. He fixes his focus, it says, in verse 10, 310, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul wanted to know the Lord personally. It's impossible to know someone without intimately spending time with that individual. See, when I get to heaven, I'm going to see somebody face to face that I already know heart to heart. He wanted to know the Lord powerfully. Paul speaks of the power of resurrection here. What is that power? That is the power of the Holy Spirit of God that quickened, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the power he wants to have. The goal of our life is to have power over sin, over self, over Satan, over the circumstances of the world. God wants you to live powerfully. The same power, listen, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul said, I want resurrection power in my life. Do you? Paul wanted to know the Lord passionately. I want to know him passionately. He speaks at the verse, fellowship of his sufferings. Now, he's not talking about his Calvary sufferings. That's not what he's talking about. There's no way somebody can else participate in his Calvary sufferings. He did that alone. Nobody can help bear that burden for him. Alone he died on the cross. But still, he is suffering today. If you read Ephesians 4.30, it says the Holy Spirit is grieving. It says, you know, warns us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Why? Of all the sin in the world. All the sin that's going on. Here's a question I ask myself. Do the things that break Jesus' heart break my heart? Remember I said this question before. When was the last time you wept over a soul that was mortgaged to the devil? We see all these laws getting passed. And we sometimes repay evil with evil. Or on social media, we tend to make fun of sin. But Proverbs 14.9 says, fools mock at sin. Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord, we talked about a little bit last, last Sunday, the, what the fear of the Lord is, is to hate evil. So if you're paying evil with evil, what's the difference? Paul said, I want to know him passionately. Paul had a broken, compassionate heart. Paul also wanted to know him preeminently. Why do I say that? Because he says, I want to be conformed to his death. That is, I want to die with him that I may live with him. You'll never know the power of resurrection if you're not, able, if you're not made comfortable to his death. Without death, there is no resurrection. And that simply means say no to me. Say yes to Jesus. No to me. Yes, the Jesus. As Pastor Craig used to say, I must decrease, he must increase. 
Paul said, I want to know him. And the whole point here in this verse is relationship is more important than accomplishment. And I'll talk about accomplishment here in a moment. Relationship with Jesus Christ is more important than accomplishment. Number two, we need to face our faults. Face your faults. In Philippians 3.12, he says this, Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So here's the principle. If you're satisfied with your spiritual life now, you're aiming too low. If you are satisfied with your spiritual now, spiritual life now, you're aiming too low. You have to face the fact that you are not what you ought to be. Doesn't matter where you're at in life, you are not what you ought to be. You say, well, Corne, don't you think I'm a good Christian? Don't you think we're all good Christians? We showed up to church today on a Sunday morning. We're not like those people that are sleeping in. Well, I think Paul was a great Christian. And at the end of his life, he said that I may know him. He said that that's what I'm striving for. The goal is that I'm pressing towards with every ounce of energy of my spiritual body. I have this ambition, this burning ambition. I'm focused on it. He was not satisfied. So if you're satisfied, simply you're aiming too low. Well, that brings a question. We say, Paul, don't you know Jesus? Didn't you meet him personally on the road to Damascus? You wrote all the epistles, pretty much 30% of the Bible you wrote. What do you mean? You suffered for him? But you see, he's saying there's so much for him to know about Jesus. You see, we give Christopher Columbus credit for discovering America, right? But think about it. How much of America did he really discover? How much of America did he really discover? Now, how much of Jesus do you know? Do you think you already know all about Jesus that there is to know? See, no growing Christian is ever satisfied with his spiritual attainment. No growing Christian is ever satisfied. Now, that does not mean you're not satisfied with Jesus. You're not satisfied with salvation. You're not satisfied with yourself. You're not satisfied with your spiritual state. I saw a cowboy pen that said, I ain't what I ought to be. I ain't what I'm going to be. But thank God, I ain't what I was. He's been saved, but he's not satisfied with his own spiritual condition. He's a growing in the Lord. Do any of us think we really arrived somewhere? Do we think we kind of, in my Christian life, I arrived and now it's, this is where I need to be? You're not perfect. None of us. A man was arguing with his wife. And he said, you think I'm a perfect fool? His wife said, I don't think anybody's perfect. (laughs) If Paul at the end of his life said, I want to know more about Jesus, I want to know Jesus, what a challenge that ought to be to me. And friend, if you're satisfied with your Christian life, it's simply because your goal is too low. You see, Paul didn't think he knew the Lord personally, powerfully, passionately, preeminently as he should. And that ought to be an encouragement for us. Paul said he needed to grow, so that maybe we need to say, we need to grow. I'm satisfied with my Savior, I'm satisfied with my salvation, but I'm not satisfied with Cornet. And I think after all these years being raised in a Christian family, you know, come from pastors, and father was a pastor, and still pastoring, 
I would be a better Christian. I'd be a better prayer warrior. I'd know the word a little bit better. But in a way, that encourages me because I know I got improvement. I know I'm not satisfied. I still go. I keep running the race. There's so much more that I need to learn, so much more that I need to attain. Now, before Paul, before he met Lord Jesus Christ, he was satisfied. He boasted that he was a proud young Pharisee. He was very educated. He considered himself faultless. But after he met Lord Jesus, he said, I count all these things as rubbish. If you look in Philippians 3, 8, Indeed, I also count all things for loss of excellence of knowledge of Christ Jesus, that my Lord, for whom I suffered, the loss of all things, I count and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. I was kind of reading through that, and I used the New King James Version. I was like, well, that's a little bit different from my Russian Bible. So in the King James Version, it says, I count it all but dung. That comes a little bit closer, but dung. And the most wisest person that ever lived, Solomon, he took a pause and looked at all the human activity that's going on. In Ecclesiastes 1, 2, he says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. He looked at it, and the theme of that book is pretty much the pointlessness of human activity. The problem with many of us is this. We know people that we're better than. And that gives us a sense of satisfaction. You may be a better Christian than the most people you know, but I'm telling you something, you're light years away from what you could be and should be. And I'm sure there's some satisfied saints here this morning, and the reason you're satisfied is because you've been comparing yourself to people and not the Lord Jesus Christ. I hear other people say, I'm just as good as those folks down at the church. I'm waiting for somebody to be honest and say, I'm just as bad as those folks down at the church. Church is just simply a group of sinners who finally realized it and came together to do something about it. We're just as bad as everybody else. Now, Fred, I want to tell you something. If you're satisfied with you in your spiritual life, God is not satisfied with you. And also, people, when we compare ourselves to others, we have two great dangers. One is that you may lie down to, in a gutter to some hypocrite, and say, I'm a, I'm a little bit longer than he is. But that's not the standard. You see, sin is the gap between you and the glory of God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So why are you measuring yourself to another sinner? Don't measure yourself by other people. The other, pe the other fear or the problem you might have is, you can say, I can never attain. I can never be like him. For example, I can never be like Paul. Paul is Paul. Cornet is Cornet. That's what you need to understand. I can never be like Billy Graham. I'll just say, I can't never do it. So you just give up. Don't compare yourself to people. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. In the King James Version, it says, be followers of me as I am of Christ. He didn't mean you follow Paul. He's saying, I'm following Jesus you follow Jesus. I'm following Jesus. You follow Jesus as I am. And guess what? Paul's not satisfied. So we shouldn't be satisfied. And again, you might say, well, aren't we supposed to be satisfied? Certainly. With Jesus, yes. Salvation, yes. 
not satisfied with your present state. You have to have this holy dissatisfaction. Every Christian ought to be a growing Christian. And if you're not a better Christian today than you were yesterday, in a way, you're, you're backsliding. We ought to be a growing Christians and moving one step higher. Number three, we need to forget your failures. So we need to fix our fault, focus, face our faults, forget our failures. I want to look at these verses so you can see a breakdown. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So he fixes his focus. 3.12 says, not that I have already attained or already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. That's him facing his faults. I haven't attained. I'm not already perfect. He knew, I mean, this greatest Christian of all time, and he's saying, I have room for growth. And now notice also in verse 13, he's forgetting his failures. Brethren, I do not count myself having apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. But this one thing I do. Now what's the principle? principle here is you're never a failure until you quit. Forget your failures. Forget those things that are behind. If somebody's here saying, well, I'm not the Christian I ought to be, and you're feeling sorry for yourself, forget it. Move on. The problem with modern-day Christianity is that we have way too many quitters. We have people in church that serve the Lord and they quit. And the majority, the reason, the most, how'd you say that? If there's a reason I had to choose why people quit serving the Lord, is because they got prosperous. I have lots of examples, and I know my dad's here, but there's lots of people that I know that are from Soviet Union. Now, those days, I was a kid, but I still remember we had to take like four buses to get to church. Four days a week. My parents did it like clockwork, and so did everybody else. And I'm not talking about those nice buses that you guys have here, like Dakota buses. I'm talking about you get on the bus, you got a goat and a chicken and everything like that. And during the winters, they still made it to church. Now they've moved to America. They got prosperous. They bought a house on the lake. They got a condo somewhere. Now the weekend is to do their thing. The weekend is not to do their thing. The weekend is Lord's Day. So you may say, I need some res- you know, recreation. Yes, and God wants you to have it. But you need to ask yourself, are the blessings that God gave me, are taking me away from the same God that gave them to me? So you can't, you're never a failure until you quit. You can't run. You can't stop running. So I don't care how far you are. Think about it in track. It doesn't matter how far you are ahead. If you're stopped running on the track and those people are just coming out of the block, if you stop running, you're going to lose. You got to keep running. No matter how far ahead you are, you can always go one step higher. Never quit. So you're never a failure until you quit. Some say, 
well, I already failed in my Christian life, so I can't be the Christian God wants me to be. It's already too late. I'm going to tell you something. Yes, you can, and yes, you should. Yes, you can, and yes, you should. Here's how you start. You fix your focus, you face your faults, and you forget your failures. Now, when I say face them, I mean admit them, that you know you've got more room to grow. And look at verse 13 again. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. This is Apostle Paul. He faced these faults. But one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching toward those which are ahead. Sometimes people get a way of looking at themselves and they get this mindset that even with your 30, 40, 50, 60, it doesn't matter. People get this mindset, this is it for me. This is all I can be. So put it in cruise control and that's it. That's not true. Get yourself on hook from that. You're never a failure until you quit. Take your faith to the next level. Don't stop growing. You see, Satan wants to bind us to the past, but you have to understand that Jesus sets us free for the future. That's what he paid the price for. Satan would like to keep you in the past. And one thing I learned from running a race is you can't look backwards when you're running. That's a, that's a great way to fall. Forget the past. And if you want to point a finger in the Christian biggest problems right here, dwelling on the past. So you can't run a race looking backwards. Too many Christians are still stuck in the past. Luke 9.62 says this. <laughs> this is Jesus speaking. But Jesus said to them, No one having to put his hand on the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's impossible to plow straight furrows if you're looking back all the time. you got to look ahead. <laughs> you cannot be focused on your failures, disappointments, heartaches, and have successful at having victory in the Christian life. Paul would not focus on the past. He's looking ahead and determined to stay focused. Let me give you a couple examples that we need to forget to help us move on. <clears throat> if anyone had anything to be guilty about, first one is guilt. We need to forget our guilt. It's Paul. Philippians 3.6, 3, he says, Concerning zeal, prosecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Look, Paul knew the things he had done were terrible. He even admits them. Look at Acts 22.4. This is Paul saying, I prosecuted this way to the death, that is Christians, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. Then he says in 1 Timothy 1.13, Although as formerly a blamisher, persecutor, and insolent man, I obtained mercy because I did it arrogantly in unbelief. Paul refused to be haunted by these things in the past of this guilt. He buried those things in the grave of God's forgetfulness. You don't find Paul saying, I am limited now. I'm damaged goods. I can't serve the Lord. I don't find him even saying, hey, I got to pay God back somehow. He simply forgets and he runs. So you run. You can too. Follow Paul's lead. Forget your failures and run. Every Christian, let me tell you something. Every Christian failed at some, some point. That's a fact. Every Christian has failed God at some point. We can list the list of failures of all of our biblical heroes. Pick a hero in your Bible. You'll list the failure. Everybody makes mistakes. 
My daughter says, that's why they put erasers on pencils. Everybody makes mistakes. There's only one person, and I said this last time, last Sunday, whoever lived a Christian life and that the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. One person that ever lived a Christian life. Don't fret if you have an occasional sinking spell. The sun sinks every, every day, but it rises in the morning, right? But at the same time, folks, I want to pause for a moment and remind you that God is a holy God. He will not overlook sin. So when I say forget about it, I'm not saying forget about it. What I'm saying is meaning to avoid making a situation right or not asking for forgiveness. And Matthew 5.23 uh, says this, 5.23.24, Therefore, if you bring a gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. We must deal with sin. So when I say forget about it, there's a little asterisk. You must deal with sin. You have to be been forgiven and you made the wrongs right. When you do that, forget about it and run. Don't let Satan bring you, you know, keep reminding you of the sins that you already dealt with. Flee to Christ. Remind yourself of the gospel and press on. We also need to forget past glories. Past glories. Philippians 3.7 says, But what the things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Forget past achievements. You know, we find Paul sometimes occasionally relating some of his ministry achievements, but we don't find him using these victories as an excuse not to press forward in the present, to be lazy. We should be grateful to God for all his blessings. We should. Recounting them like we read in Psalm 103, uh, first five verses says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who, who forgives us all iniquities, who heals your diseases, who re redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. We should count our blessings. We should. But don't use past victories as an excuse to live in self-satisfaction today. Successes can create unhealthy tendency in to cling to those glory days. Have you ever been around those folks that talk about glory days in the church? The glory day Christians? Kind of, anybody seen Napoleon Dynamite? Kind of remind me of the Uncle Rico. He's a middle-aged man who lives in a camper and films himself throwing a football. Don't be Uncle Rico. We have March Madness coming up, right? That's why it's called March Madness. You can be number one seed playing the other seed, you might lose. And, you know, we, we, we hear some players always say, we'll enjoy this victory for a moment, but we got ready for the next game. Because the victory yesterday doesn't guarantee a victory tomorrow. It's who's ever better that day. You might be number one seed, but if you're off, you're going to lose. Every day brings new challenges and opportunities. So Paul had some amazing victories in his life. Could he have lived in the glory days? Of course he could have. But he's not letting his accomplishments make him lazy. He's forgetting accomplishments as he's run. Neither is he comparing himself to anybody else. He's, not, he's focused in remaining faithful until the race is over. He's not looking at 
Apostle Peter, he's not looking at others. He's running the race. Then we need to forget our past grief. Paul talks about people who've done him wrong. Brothers that criticized him. But he's not drinking from that intoxicating cup of self-pity. He's not feeling bad for himself. Many people criticize me till this day. Don't walk right. You don't talk right. Don't say sermons right. It's okay. Because I know my heart. And honestly, I don't want to be loved by everyone. I don't. Because that tells me you're a pleaser. You're a people pleaser. I'd rather be a Jesus pleaser. We talked about Jesus. Who did he always please? The Father. Jesus always pleased the Father. So if you please God, it doesn't matter who you displease. But if you displease God, it doesn't matter who you please. It doesn't. And in Luke 6, 26, we're reminded of these words. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers and false prophets. Remember, Jesus also stated that the world's going to hate you. But remember, they hated me first. Another thing I want to kind of throw out there is in Ecclesiastes 7.21, it says, Also do not take to heart everything people say, lest your heart serve and curse in you. We need to do a self-inventory. Sometimes people, you know, I learned in my life that when somebody criticizes you or says something to you, and I'll share this example. I was complaining, and then I was complaining to a pastor, and he said, the back of your jacket is dirty. And I kind of was like, what? I'm complaining to you about this guy. Back of my jacket is dirty. I took it off, looked at it. I said, it's not dirty. I put it on and continued complaining. And he said, that's, that's the point. If somebody tells you the back of your jacket is dirty, you take it off and it's dirty, say thank you. But if somebody tells you the back of your jacket is dirty, you take it off and look at it and it's not dirty, just put it back on and move on. We have to do that in our life. Remember, all people are always, there's different, different spiritual levels, so you can't always have these griefs. No, oh, I can't believe he said this. The only person who's going to suffer is yourself. Let it go. Another thing we need to let go is grudges. It's a big one. There's nothing that will hinder, stultify a Christian life while they're in the grudge. See, the longer you carry a grudge, the heavier it gets. Paul said, I refuse it. All you have to do is basically tell Jesus on them and move on. Tell Jesus on them. Move on. Paul said, I forget those things which are behind. I'm reaching forward. In Philippians 3.13, for those which things are ahead. Forget those things which are behind. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You know, a very good example of that is Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph? I believe Pastor Malcolm preached on Joseph. We see when he meets his brothers for the second time in Genesis 45, he revealed himself to his brothers, but he didn't hold a grudge. They mistreated him, but he saw it from God's point of view. He said, you can read the whole story in chapter 45 of Genesis, but I want to read one verse, uh, Genesis 45, 8. Look at what uh, uh, Joseph says. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. 
He has made me a father to the parent lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. As a result, he was unable to hold grudges against his brothers. Joseph knew that God had a plan for his life. He put this in his life. And what was Joseph doing throughout? He was just running the race, just like Paul was. He was running the race. He was in prison. All of a sudden, he becomes like the you know, main guy running the prison. Why? Because his focus was on God at all times. So, friends, we need to be aware we're looking back. Because if we spend so much time looking back, you can't see the person that God wants you to become. Remember Lot's wife? What happened to her when she looked back? Turned to a pillar of salt. Kid in Sunday school said, well, that's nothing. My mama went to a grocery store. She looked back, turned into a telephone pole. (laughs) You can't drive a car looking backwards. So the best way not to go backwards is to go forward. You can't run a race looking back, forgetting those things which are behind. And the last thing is firm up your faithfulness. In 3, 12, and 13 verses, not that I already attained or I'm already perfect. Watch this. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself as apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things in which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Success is simply laying a hold of what, for what Jesus laid a hold of you. You see, he didn't save you to serve the world, the flesh, the devil. He didn't save you to sit soaked and sour, like I said last Sunday. He saved you to know him. That's why he saved you. Now, this might sound contradictory to what I was preaching before, but he didn't even save you to be a soul winner. He didn't save you to be a Bible student. He saved you to know him. But you see, when you do know him, you can't help but become a soul winner. You can't help but to become a Bible student. He saved you that you might know him. That's the high calling. And in verses 13 and 14, he says this, Brethren, I do not count myself for apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He firmed up his faithfulness. Do we have any runners here? No? Okay. Anyone used to be on track team? Well, I know what it's like running a race, and I'm going to tell you one thing. When you're running a race, how many things are on your mind? If you're a good runner? One. One, that's it. I mean, every ounce, every inch, every nerve, every fiber, all that's in you, you're pressing toward that goal. And if you don't, you're not going to win. The, the runner narrows his interests. And Paul's saying, what's one thing I do? To know him. To know him, that's his goal. That's why I'm running. The runner has no side issues. And what's the principle here? Concentration is the secret power. Concentration is the secret power. A believer must devote himself to running the Christian race. No athlete succeeds by doing multiple things. There's exception to that. You know, that we have some athletes that are kind of specialized in different sports, football and baseball. But the winner is the one that specializes in something. For example, take Michael Jordan. 
He's perfect at basketball. He specializes in basketball. Baseball years, not so much. So what's our specialty? Entirely to their calling. Remember Nehemiah in chapter 6, building the wall? And people try to interrupt him. He said, I'm busy. I'm concentrating over here. Nehemiah 6.3 says, So I sent messages to them saying, I do, I'm doing great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I'm leaving it and go down to you? I'm concentrating. I'm not going to have these side issues. I'm running and building the wall. I'm running the race. And that's what Paul said. This one thing I do. He puts his eye on the goal with complete concentration. Looks at it says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus, Christ Jesus. That's concentration. Well, that kind of brings up a problem. I got to do my job. I have a job. I have to have my rest. I think recreation is legitimate. I believe I have to have friends. And so do I. But listen very carefully. Your job, your rest, your recreation, your friends ought to help you toward this goal. Toward this goal, or they're, they're just wrong for you. Did you know the test of something is it's good or bad for you if it's ultimately helping you, bring you to your goal? Your job, you can do it. You can't do it for the glory of God, you have no business to do it. Any vacation that you take that takes away from love of God or dulls you, you shouldn't take. Any friends that make it harder for you to come to Christ or get to know Him, they're bad for you. And the reason I say that is because Paul, right into Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. There's nothing wrong with friendship, relationships, diet, whatever, vacation, job, money. There's nothing wrong if you're rich. There's nothing wrong if you're poor. He's, talking about, he's not talking about bad things here. So he's not talking about saying adultery is lawful for me. He's talking about lawful things. They're all good for you. All these things, there's nothing wrong with them. But he warns us. For example, there's nothing wrong for you to want a better house for your family. Nothing wrong for you to move into a better school district for your family. Nothing wrong with you having a better job. It may be lawful, but if it's not helpful, if it doesn't bring me to my goal, then it's bad for me. You see, good things become bad things when they get in the way of the best things. Good things become bad things when they get in the way of best things. Every relationship, every ambition, every plan, if it doesn't help you to come closer to Jesus, to know Him better, is wrong. And a lot of people will say that's narrow. Well, you're getting it. You're getting it. Concentration. We're talking about power. Now, if you don't want power, that's fine. But if you want power, you're going to have to say, but this one thing I do. This one thing I do. Have you ever done that? That's what I said when I was reading this to challenge my own heart. Have you ever done that? All your goals, kind of try to put them towards one. All of a sudden, you're looking at them like, well, I guess I can't do this. Get rid of it. It's still good, but it's bad. You have to firm up your faithfulness. You have to learn that concentration. I have to learn concentration. That is the secret power. 
You see, the runner not only has to have concentration, but he also has to have direction. And verse 14, he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He puts his eye on the goal, and that's the reason he said, forgetting those things which are in behind. You see, there was a saying, I read an Olympic runner said the exact same thing as Paul. Listen to this, I want to read this to you. And he tell me if it sounds like what Paul is saying and translate it into your spiritual life. This is an Olympic runner. It says about running a race. The only way to win a race is to forget all previous victories, which would give you false pride, and all former failures, which will give you false fears. Each race is a new beginning. Pressing on to the finished tape is all that's important. Doesn't that sound like exactly what Paul wrote? Isn't that wonderful? We have to forget our past victories. Keep your eye on a goal. Fix your focus. You say, that's one thing I do that I may know him. Face your faults. I've not already attained. I'm not perfect. Forget those failures. Forget those things which are behind. And again, if it's sin, you've got to deal with sin. And then firm up your faithfulness. Make it my goal that I'm going to know Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before I finish, we all know where Paul was when he was writing this letter. In prison. He was at the end of his life. He's about to step over and about to die. But he says, I'm still running. I'm running the race. He's already squinty-eyed, humpback, maybe old man. He's been all over. He's been in shipwrecks. He's been stoned, left for dead. He's been beaten with 195 lashes to the back. But he's on a trail running. Why? No runner can rest his laurels laurels until the, the race is over. That's why. So friend, never stop running for Jesus. Never stop growing. Never stop going. Never stop glowing. Just keep on keeping on. You see, the yardstick is not how much you know. The yardstick is how much you grow. Here's Paul at the end of his life saying that I may know him. So I don't care where you are, include myself. We can go one step higher. The high calling of Jesus Christ is this. What is it? To know Jesus. And G.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, he said this. Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place on their own accord. Everything in life that flows, flows from the sound, knowing Jesus. If we are to see, succeed in our Christian life and honor God by our lives, then we're going to have to run the race His way. We're going to have to run the race His way. Dan played this song, and I wrote down the lyrics that he asked us to sing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. How true. How true is that? So we need to get our focus solely on Jesus. He will give us direction, and you need to successfully run the race for His glory and your internal benefit as you run for the prize. Run for the prize. So I want to end with the same questions I started out. When you accomplish your goals, what will you have? When you get there, where will you be?
and the things you're living for, are they worth Jesus dying for? Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us that we're not to quit and to run our race and that we're to run our race. We need to fix our focus, face our faults, forget our failures, firm up our faithfulness, and keep running until our race is over. And it's over when we see your face to face. Father, today also marks a somber day in this community as we recall the events of one year ago when Vestal officers Tony Morelli and Eric Joring were tragically killed serving the public. These were husbands, these were fathers to the kids, they were taken from their wife and children. And I pray today that you comfort them, give them strength, especially to their loved ones, also their fellow police officers, colleagues. And I pray for those who continue to be in danger from this violence and give thanks for the constant courage, devotion to duty of the police, not just Vestero, but all over, and all who take risks to protect our communities. We also pray for those that are serving the militaries, and I pray for our brother Josh Palmer as he's in Poland right now, and we ask him that you protect him and keep him safe. And be with us and help us grow in you and be delight in the world. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen. God bless you.